Coming up today, home education in America. What can parents do to maintain their freedom to teach their children at home? The degree of freedom, as they say, even in the most liberal state you can imagine, does include the right to homeschool your child. Then, what's motivating today's conservative young people to speak out on cultural issues? Being just very um, calm and peaceful, but then also coming ready, in a sense, kind of like armed with the armor of God. And Mark Hall of Casting Crowns joins us to talk about the group's 20th anniversary of music and ministry. I guess I kind of learned early on that following Jesus is a lot about stepping in over your head. It's the weekend of December 16th and 17th. I'm Jeff Shambly, and this is The Stand Radio. A 2022 Fox News poll showed that most parents, 64%, had concerns about the lack of parental input in what's being taught to their children. As a result, a lot of parents are reasserting their rights over their children's education by choosing alternatives such as homeschooling. Joining me to talk about the current state of home education in the U.S. is Steve Crampton. He's the assistant to the general counsel here at American Family Association and a veteran homeschool dad. Hi, Steve. Jeff, so good to be with you. We have a lot of freedom here in the United States to educate our children, but that's not the case Mm. in a large part of the world. How do you account for the difference there? You know, uh, in AFA circles, we talk about this all the time, but it really does go back to the roots, I think, Jeff. This nation was founded on Christian principles. Those origins have, over the uh, millennia, really, Mm served to protect the fundamental unit of the family. As you well know, the nuclear family is God's design. It is the the beautiful kind of picture of government Mm -hmm. when uh, rightly constituted. And our uh, framers not only understood that but were so committed to it, they really kind of assumed it in fashioning our uh, legal structure. So although our Constitution does not make specific reference to parental rights or the family, it has long been recognized, and and many uh, U.S. Supreme Court cases going back at least 100 years recognize that Mm -hmm. fundamental right of the parent to oversee and direct the education of their children. So... Uh, that principle has remained pretty well intact. As you well know, we see it kind of uh, fracturing, splintering, right. mm-hmm. uh, dissolving before us today. But, but those principles really do carry through. There is the natural order, and it's funny to me in rereading the Supreme Court cases from years ago, mm. without even thinking, they just say, well, it It's natural for the parent to look out for the best interests of his or her child, right? And it was just a given, as I say. Uh, Strangely enough, in a 2000 decision involving grandparent rights, Troxel against Granville, uh, Justice Scalia, who has since passed, but as great a conservative jurist as he was, he did not recognize parental rights because it wasn't set forth explicitly in the text of the Constitution. Now, the other justices rightly ruled that parental rights trumped over grandparents seeking to come in. But Justice Scalia, because of the textual limitations of the Constitution, refused to recognize it. So, 
you know, we can't take everything for granted, but uh, thankfully our founders laid a tremendous foundation for us on the homeschool kind of front. Yeah, that's fantastic. Could you give us a broad overview of the U.S. and the kinds of range of freedoms that are out there? Yeah, and you know, it, it is remarkable, frankly, that in this day and age, every single state of the union, no matter how dark blue yeah. it may be, recognizes the right of a parent to homeschool his yeah, or her children. Yeah. Now, within that broad recognition, as you might imagine, there are a vast uh, degree of variations on how much regulation and oversight the state uh, has. So you go from states like uh, Alaska, Texas, Oklahoma, you don't even have to notify them that you're homeschooling. Go for it, right? To states that even want to require what kind of uh, instructor actually engages in the uh, process, uh, how many times you have to report into the state, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of topics, subject matter you have to educate in, and that sort of thing. But the degree of freedom, as they say, even in the most liberal state you can imagine, does include the right to homeschool your child. Let's say a parent sees a requirement that is too intrusive. How do they go about addressing that on the state yeah. level? What's the, what's the key? Well, first, as really I would counsel any Christian parent or citizen, ought to try to go to the state officials involved and respectfully engage in a godly appeal just one-on-one, okay. right? As bureaucratic and as kind of divorced from personal caring uh, service as we have become, there are still administrators who will respect and respond to a godly appeal. But let's just assume, as is probably going to be the case, you're not going to succeed there. The next step would be to reach out to one of the organizations that we were talking about off air. Uh, Homeschool Legal Defense Association is probably the oldest and the largest, but there are others. Heritage Defense uh, is a group that focuses largely, almost exclusively, on homeschool uh, rights and will litigate those cases in court. Uh, And now there's a group called... uh, Parental Rights, uh, it's parentalrights.org, and uh, they do a great job in a broader context of protecting also not just in homeschool context, but say, for example, you've got visitation issues with Mm -hmm. uh, a divorced uh, spouse or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. So there really are, and and frankly, even the likes of the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, Liberty Council, uh, and and other groups like that, you can still reach out to. But the go-to organizations would be those that focus on homeschool. I'm going to finish off the interview with with maybe asking you to look into the future a little bit, and, and I'm hoping that you'll give us some good news. Where are we headed as a country when it comes to parental rights overall, Steve? You know better than to expect. <laughs> I do, That's I really a good do. news question. I, do. I mean, it, it really can be seen in such a simplistic manner, can't it, Jeff? We have gone from a nation that unapologetically, joyfully celebrated our Christian heritage mm-hmm. to a nation where you're pretty much shamed into even mentioning that you're a, a believer in the public square now. Now, that may be a bit of an overstatement, but the fact is we have gone from in God we trust to really in the state we trust. Yeah. And to the extent we have become a godless nation— So the attacks on the nuclear family, on fundamental rights of parents, and all that we hold 
really near and dear and almost sacrosanct mm -hmm. in uh, the basic family unit is now uh, under attack, right? So you have uh, efforts. We're all familiar with the old UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Oh, yeah, I remember. But, you know, though we didn't sign on to that formally, those efforts continue, of course, aggressively in all kinds of forms. So you have gone from a recognition that in almost every case, a parent must be respected in his decisions regarding his own children to a position where the courts, as you see in family law, the go-to standard is now called the best interests of the child. Mm -hmm. Now, what in the world does that mean? could mean anything. W exactly. Yeah, yeah. When you don't have God as your foundation stone, the best interests become whatever the judge feels okay, the best interests right. ought to be. And consequently, yeah. you've got parents being forced to recognize the gender choices of their children mm -hmm. and even to cooperate and maybe finance a, uh, uh, a surgery, you know, a permanent uh, transition in a context where the child – as minority rights have long recognized, doesn't really even know what's best for himself. So we we don't face a rosy future mm -hmm. on the front of parental rights. But that said, there have been tremendous gains lately in the cases, especially going even to the U.S. Supreme Court, mm -hmm. restoring rights of religious freedom. Yeah. Uh, recognizing and respecting some parental rights, but it is certainly a battle. So the battle rages, but we are winning some of those uh, cases. We have to stay vigilant, don't we? Absolutely right. Yeah. The website's once again hslda.org. That's homeschoollegaldefenseassociation.org, uh, heritagedefense.org, and parentalrights.org. Check those websites out and stay informed and uh, be active in preserving these rights. Steve, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you, Jeff. God bless you. Alongside the never-ending parade of liberal progressives that are pushing the envelope of cultural insanity are bright young conservatives who've embraced digital media and its ability to communicate truth to the masses. One of these is Anna Morris. She's 18 years old and host of the podcast The Wake Up Conservative. Anna, welcome to The Stand Radio. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Tell me how this interest in cultural issues all began for you. Yeah, so I think like most Americans, um, the interest in cultural issues started during 2020, during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I don't really remember anything being super political or um, people being awake in their faith, if that makes sense, um, to the sense that we are now. And so I kind of was following a lot of other like, young conservatives um, and conservatives of any age, for that matter, um, just kind of waking at that time. So I found that encouraging, but then also um, I found the time to, during the pandemic, when we were all at home, all locked into our houses, to take that time to study books that were coming out, study podcasts that were starting to become a new thing, and it just encouraged me to take that leap of confidence, um, and I don't think I could have done it without reading my Bible, mm. reading up on articles and things like that. 
That's interesting. I, I'm always fascinated when young people uh, like you are drawn to activism, and especially when it comes to the biblical worldview and integrating that into life and communicating that. If you would tell me where you began to have uh, your influences in terms of uh, the gospel, and what were your influences? Were your parents uh, a big part of that along the way? My parents were, um, and they still are. They are some of the strongest Christians I know. I have a lot of um, influences within my church that have been great um, stepping stones to my faith journey, and then I know also other people's faith journey. And so that, and then also people who have more of a platform, so like Ali Bestucky, greatly inspired by her. Um, I love the Daily Wire show and what they produce, and many people like that, Eric Metaxas, um, what they produce is so awe-inspiring that I love to dig deeper into that, um, and I know others do as well. Yeah. Tell me what's at the top of your list of issues uh, that you believe young men and women like yourself need to be concerned about. Yeah, so I... I don't necessarily think there's, like, a right or wrong issue. Um, I love to explore anything, um, and it doesn't even have to be conservative. It could be a liberal topic. Um, But I think everything comes from the source of the Bible. So, for example, um, if I am to talk about the unborn and pro-life rights, it all comes from the Bible. The Lord says that, creation is sacred to him and how he created it, and um, every human life is a life at conception. Another one is gender issues. Gender issues is important because the Lord said he made man and woman in his image, so that's an important one. Um, And the list goes on. Mental health is such a concern to the Lord because he says that he brings joy and peace to those who ask him, Um, and so I think having the hope and the peace and the truth that the Bible brings, I want to, and I know all the guests I've had on, want to share that as well, um, because it's just so, it it will make you just sit there and be like, oh, there is someone who cares, <laughs> and there is someone who knows what is going on in this crazy, chaotic world. What do you think the most effective way is to communicate with someone on the ideological left uh, when it comes to presenting a conservative viewpoint? Mm. That's a harder question um, because I've had my fair share of um, conversations with different people, either if it's on the left and right. It doesn't really matter what um, part of the spectrum you are. I think tensions are so high, emotions are so high when you get into topics like abortion, uh, gender ideology issues. And so it's so hard to have those conversations. They're definitely difficult, but I encourage my listeners to have them. um, And I try to give as many um, pointers to have those conversations. And I think the one thing that is important over everything else is that your intention, your heart is from a loving and an understanding perspective when you go into those conversations. I think that's the most important thing because if you have the Lord on your side, if you are coming from a loving um, spot, 
from your heart and your mind, then I don't think you can go wrong. Um, I would definitely say pray before you engage um, to help you. I know human emotions can run high and mm-hmm. um, a lot and you can be like, oh, that's wrong, you know, like when you're in a conversation. So um, I definitely would say pray about it and check your heart and your intentions before. Do you find that people are more responsive to you when you don't give them what they would expect in terms of a lot of emotion? If you if you respond to them in a, in a, um, in a kind and respectful manner, do you find that that sort of disarms them a little bit? Absolutely. I think that that being just very um, calm and peaceful, but then also coming ready and um, in a sense kind of like armed with the armor of God. And so what that means is like you have truth to present to them. So I always have, like, if I'm going into a conversation with um, a woman or a man um, about abortion, then I have my truth from liveaction.org or Mm -hmm. other supporting articles or doctors, even doctors have come out and said that a baby is a baby at conception and they don't even have to be conservative. So I think that even in that stance, if you have an article from a doctor who doesn't necessarily seem conservative, it opens a broader um, conversation about, okay, if we're starting to understand that life is life at conception, do you have life in Christ? You know, like you can right, right. take it so many areas, and it's so beautiful. Once again, our guest today has been Anna Morris. She's the host of the podcast, The Wake Up Conservative. You can check out our interview with Anna in this month's The Stand magazine. Anna, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. For 20 years, the group Casting Crowns has inspired millions with songs of truth, hope, and redemption through Jesus Christ. With 15 number one singles, 18 Dove Awards, including one Grammy, you would think Casting Crowns has reached the high mark of their success. But as you'll hear from our guest today, their real priority in ministry is the local church. Mark Hall is on the line with us. He's the lead vocalist and songwriter for Casting Crowns. Hello, Mark. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing, man? Doing terrific. Good to have you today. First of all, congratulations uh, on 20 years of ministry. Does it feel like 20 years? You know, it really doesn't. It's amazing how fast it goes. But I think the older you get, the quicker the years move, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's been a great 20 years. How long was it before you knew that you had to make the decision, I'm going to stick with the priority of the local church? Well, when Crowns first happened and we made our first record, uh, we were able to last minute get in on the Rebecca St. James tour. Uh, amazing tour. Uh, down here was the other band, and we weren't even on the poster because we were so late in the game. They gave us about <laughs> like 15 minutes in the beginning, and, uh, and that's where we started our touring life. And it was about three or four weeks straight okay. of being gone, and our families were at home. And, uh, man, when I got back from that, I don't know if anybody knows this, but I quit Crowns. When I got back, and I, I told my wife Melanie, I was like, you know what? I don't think this is for me. You know, I, I I need to be home. I need to be in our church. I didn't know it was going to be this, and I don't want to be away from the kids. And she's like, well, babe, you know, we're kind of in this now. You know, you yeah. <laughs> sign contracts and all this stuff. And I said, ah, they're Christians. 
you know, they'll be fine. <laughs> just let them know that I, I don't feel like I'm allowed to do this anymore. And she was like, I don't think you could do that. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that was the day we made the decision. Well, if we're going to do this, number one, you guys are going to be with me. Yeah. And I'm going to do it with my kids on the road. And number two is we have to be um, in our church. That has to be what comes first. And we're going to just have to say no to things yeah. and, uh, and miss out on things because this is where we're supposed to be. And, uh, and that's where it started. And, and God's really blessed uh, since then. Uh, it's really expensive to do it that way. It's really expensive to take families on the road, but uh, God's made a way for it to happen. Now, a lot of water has gone under the bridge since those days, but you still were challenged with uh, whether or not that commitment was going to be solid. What are some other occasions where that really was put to the test? You know, I believe in the very beginning, this uh, big opportunity came to our booking. And our booking, uh, Jeff Roberts, they, they were still kind of getting used to us, you know. And, and there was a, a big church in California that was doing this huge service. And it was going to be the biggest thing we'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. And and they said the money was more than we would had ever dreamed for a concert. Um, and they said the only problem is on Easter. But I'm sure your church would understand that you know you're part of this. And I, and I told I told Melanie I was like, okay, I guess this is where we figure out if they really did yeah. believe in us or not. You yeah. know, because we just said, well, that, you know, we got to be at our church on Sunday. That that's Easter. That that's a really important day for our people. And uh, and when we passed on that. I think that was the day that that uh, our management, the booking, the label, that everybody saw. This is the real. This this is real. What we're saying, what we're doing here. Yeah. You know, we're sticking with this, and uh, and we've had to say no to a lot of really good things. But that's just asking God for wisdom and knowing where you're supposed to be. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? Would care to feel my hurt. The words in your music seem to take the hard issues of life head on. How do pain and suffering impact you as a songwriter? Well, very much because you know, it, it was there were some Christian artists that really spoke into my life. I was a young believer because they spoke about their pain mm -hmm. and because they spoke about failure. And you know, I, I think I think one of the first Jesus records that really got my heart was um, Michael W. Smith, and there's a record called I'll, I'll Lead You Home. Mm -hmm. And the words in that song, those songs were so raw and so real. And he was just confessing things. Like, I just feel numb inside. I feel dead inside. God, you got to help me. And I've never heard anybody say that before. And when we show our scars and we show our weakness, that's how people really start seeing how big God's forgiveness is, how big his strength is. And so it, it hurts to talk about pain, yeah. but that's where people will believe us the most. People don't tend to believe you when you're on top of the mountain, mm -hmm. but when you're in a dark place and you're still reminding people that God is good, mm -hmm. that's a voice that gets heard. In these 20 years, how has Casting Crowns managed um, the tension that exists between the expectations of notoriety and the down-to-earth demands of ministry in a local church? Well, I think getting off a bus... And walking into the church and getting snubbed by a middle schooler just <laughs> reminds you who's who in the zoo, you know? And then but, and my students are always asking me about that, the whole famous thing. And I was like, guys, there's no such thing as famous. All famous means is that you know a lot about a person, but you never met them. Yeah. But if you ever notice, anybody meets a famous person, 
and they talk to him for more than 30 minutes, what do they say? He's just a normal guy. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's just normal. And uh, so I think it's been really good for my students to see that. You know, that, that famous is just an illusion. We kind of make it out of our, in, in our heads at times. But I think being, being in the same church, uh, our, our people aren't impressed with us. We've been here 20 years. Yeah. You know, we're just, we're just the, the people that sing in the church. And that keeps your head on your shoulders. You get out there, start listening to cheers and reading your website too much, uh, your head will swell right up on you, you know? And uh, I've seen that happen. So you just got to keep the main thing the main thing. Being a youth minister has given you a chance to walk with people through some very dark times. How do you take that personal care for souls and translate it into a concert setting when you're on the stage? Well, one thing I've found, discovered over time that I was doing it, I didn't realize I was doing it, but... I tend to gravitate uh, towards the men in the crowd. Okay. Um, and I pick about six guys every night. And those are my guys. Those are guys I'm talking to. And I, I pick those guys because I know that most men in, their, in that audience are probably there because they love their wives. You know, <laughs> they're, they're, they, 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 their wife wanted to come to a Cats and Crowns concert, so they brought them. And I, I'm just thinking of those guys, those guys that, that worked all day, you know, and that, that are, have a lot of weight on their shoulders. Um, and I am not the center of the universe for them. This is a night in their life, and we get to run a lap with them on their race. So that, that makes such a big deal to me, and it makes it personal, because I'm talking to those guys the whole night. Um, it's the same story. Voice of Truth has only one story, and I tell it each night, but I'm telling it to that guy tonight, yeah. and that's what makes it real. Mark, you've been very transparent about some of your own personal insecurities and feelings of inadequacy in life. What were some of the ways God tested your faith in your walk with Him? You know, I, I know that dealing with dyslexia and ADD was really hard as a kid, and I hid that. And then realizing that God was going to call me to ministry and that I was going to have to go back to Bible college, I thought, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I jumped and I spent six years at that four-year Bible college, and uh, it was a, a tough time. And I guess I kind of learned early on that following Jesus is a lot about stepping in over your head. And um, I, I feel like I've been in over my head ever since, you know. But that keeps you praying. It keeps your head on your shoulders. Walking through cancer um, was a big one for me. Dealing with my vocal issues now and, and having the surgery a few years ago and still sounding like this when I talk, you know, it, it's, it's a constant reminder that this is only going to happen if God makes it happen. Yeah. And uh, that, that keeps you in check. Well, Mark Hall has been our guest today. You can check out their 20th anniversary album and get details on their 20th anniversary tour at the website castingcrowns.com. Again, Mark, congratulations on 20 years of music and ministry. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much, bro. The Stand Radio is a weekly program highlighting the current topics covered each month in The Stand, the official online and print publications of the American Family Association. If you'd like to stay up to date on what's going on at AFA and get insightful articles on culture, faith, and family, you'll want to get your free six-month subscription to The Stand magazine. Just go to afa.net slash the stand. 
For questions or comments about anything you've heard today, you can email us at thestand@afa.net. And if you'd like to hear today's program again or share it with a friend or family member, you can get the podcast at afr.net slash podcasts. Podcasts are also available on iTunes and Spotify. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shambly. Thanks for listening.